an honor and a privilege to be able to come to you and to speak this morning. As we come together on this great day, I do want to make first mention of all the fathers. Uh, it is such a joy to be able to look around and know of all the fathers and the, the men that have, have stood as fathers in their household and have fulfilled the great command as they raise and they lead their household. On this day, we want to congratulate you and make this day a special day for you. Also, we want to make mention of those that are visiting. It's always a joy to come together and to see people that come and visit and have a desire to study about God. If you are visiting with us, you might notice in the pew in front of you that there is there's a card. And we would love to have record of you being here. And if you would fill out that card and just leave it in the pew, uh, we will be glad to have that. And we will hold on to it uh, and pick it up after, after services. This morning, as we get into our lesson, I would like to encourage you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 is a, a section of Scripture that is quoted quite often. Uh, in fact, many people that aren't part of the church, that, that don't give their lives to studying God's Word or have a desire to, to strive and be obedient to God's Word, oftentimes you'll find that they know a special verse at the beginning of Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1, one of the most quoted verses says, Judge not that you be not judged. Now I'm sad to say that most times when I hear the verse quoted, it is usually not, not used within the meaning in Matthew chapter 7, but yet people jump to it. They cling to it. As we look at this verse, this is a verse that I would say often Christians run from because we don't understand it. We run from it because we're so scared of the idea of the judging that is talked about here in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1. We know that, notice also, oftentimes I feel like sinners cling to it. Those that are living in sin, those that don't want to follow God. The verse that they're going to know, the verse that they're going to think about, that they're going to point you towards is, Don't judge me, judge not that you be not judged. Then also I think of the atheist, the atheist that, that would say they don't believe, they believe, Matthew chapter 7 verse 1, because they say, judge not that you be not judged. Don't tell me that I can't believe there is no God. So we've got a verse that's very special because the atheists believe it. We've got sinners that cling to it, and then we've got Christians that run from it. So really, Matthew chapter 7 is kind of backwards from a lot of the, lot of the Bible. Now the key is, though, we should rather understand what, what is meant in Matthew chapter 7. And today, as we, we look through the passage here, uh, I hope we can all gain a deeper understanding and a greater respect for the point made in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1. As we look today at Matthew chapter 7, we'll be noticing casting judgment. Now judgment within the, the way that it's used today is many, it could be used many ways. There's a judgment, obviously, uh, that we don't want to happen, as Matthew chapter 7 is pointing out in verse 1. And then there's judgments that, that might be made on a regular basis that have nothing to do with anything. As we went to, uh, I couldn't find my Bible the other day, and we went to the store, and I wanted to pick up a new Bible because I was discouraged that I lost mine. It's easier to just buy one than to wait until I find it. So right after we bought it, I found it. However... While we were at the store and we were looking at the Bibles, I said, it's got to be the small one. 
It's got to be the little one that I can fit in my pocket. It's much easier to carry around. And my wife, she casts a judgment, but yet this isn't a judgment that matters or makes any difference in the terms of, uh, of salvation or, or eternity. She said, your Bible's too small. You should get one bigger. I don't even see how you can read it. All right, there is a decision or an opinion that we come to. Now, it is in no way sinful to come to a thought or come to a opinion or come to a design where you say, you should have a larger Bible. There are many judgments that people make that aren't the judgment that is condemned in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1. And we're going to notice more as we go through the text and see the points that are being made. The word for judgment is krino in Greek. It means to judge with the purpose of condemning. It's to, to judge with the purpose of casting one to hell. Their purpose was in saying, you're lost, in condemning the person for themselves. Rather, we know that judgment is reserved for God. In the end, God is the final, the true judge, the righteous judge. As we go through the text, though, let's begin there in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1, it says, Judge not that you be not judged. Verse 2 says, For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but not consider the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye and you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. First off, within the point of judgment, we must protect self. We have to be ready to protect ourselves. Notice in verse 1 and 2 it said, Judge not that you be not judged. And he points out the, the main reason. For with what judgment you judge, it's coming back at you. With what, with what judgment you judge, it will be measured back to you with the same measure. That same judgment is coming back to the individual. The judgment that's held against another comes back on them. You can look at kind of the sister verse in Luke chapter 6 as we see the example or the account of the same. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 36, it says, Therefore be merciful just as your Father in heaven is merciful. And then we see the verse, Judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. We see the sister verse to that which we see in Matthew chapter 7 where he says, don't judge, and you won't be judged. Or condemn, and be condemned. The point being in Matthew chapter 7 verse 1, with what measure that you use, it's coming back on you. You can look at James chapter 2. In James chapter 2 and verse 13, once again, we see the point of a person doing something and it comes back on them. In James chapter 2 and verse 13, it says, For judgment is without mercy to he who has shown no mercy. So see that they obtained mercy by being the merciful person. They obtained a stricter judgment or a harsher judgment by being the harsher judge in Matthew Chapter 7 and verse 1, it says, Mercy, in James chapter 2, verse 13, it says, Mercy triumphs over judgment. Within protecting self, we must know that, notice also that the judgment has to be a righteous one. The point in verse 1 was, Judge not that you be not judged, but there's a judgment we'll find out that is a right judgment. 
I'm going to do a little bit of a lengthy reading in John chapter 7 because I really want you to understand the context of what's taking place. If you would open your Bibles to John chapter 7 and follow along with me, we will be starting in verse 10. I believe the key to understanding what's going on is always going to be understanding the context of what's taking place. In John chapter 7, as you start in verse 10, it says, But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him in the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said, He is good. Others said, No, on the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. It says, Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but he who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keep it? None of you keep the law? Why do you seek to kill me? Then the people answered and said, You have a demon who is seeking to kill you. Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work, and you all marvel. Moses gave you circumcision, that is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Now, as you, as you see here, the point being that Christ healed the man at the pool of Bethsaida on the Sabbath. Uh, how dare Christ do something good on the Sabbath day. Remember, because it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So when it comes down to time to, uh, for the child to be circumcised and it so happens that it falls on the Sabbath day, in fulfilling the law, circumcision could take place. But yet when Jesus, when Jesus did good on the Sabbath day, oh, we've got a problem. How dare you do good to someone else? How dare you heal someone on the Sabbath day. Now the point being, verse 24, when Jesus, Jesus draws them back in, he makes this point and says, hey, you're looking at me, you want to condemn me because I healed a man on the Sabbath. Yet when the law requires that you circumcise the child, you do that on the Sabbath. Verse 24, Jesus says, do not judge according to the appearance but judge a righteous judgment. Now notice the point being, what were they trying to do with Christ at this point? Jesus is there. Jesus has been doing good. Uh, they, they, they charge him with being, having a demon. They say that Jesus, oh, you're consumed by a demon. Your life has been taken over by a demon. And Jesus points it all back around and says, I did good, you're mad at me. You say, I've got a demon. I, I come in secret, and yet still some seek." Seek him to call him out. As you go back in the, the text in, uh, in verse 12, it says, Some people said, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. So they're calling him out. They're mad because of what Christ has done. Jesus said, don't judge according to appearance, but judge a righteous judgment. You're trying to condemn me because I did something good on a special day. He says, judge according to truth. 
Now, over and over throughout scriptures, as Jesus talks about his judgment, his judgment, he said, he said I judge no one because it's not his own. Because it's the will of the Father, because it's God's doctrine. Because he is doing or fulfilling God's will. As you look in John chapter 7, verse 10, the righteous judgment that had to come about was their nitpicking over something that made no difference. They were trying to catch Jesus in whatever little thing they could so that they could condemn him. So we see this nitpicking is turned around as a judgment because he said, don't judge according to the appearance. It's a judgment that's wrong. And he says, but judge a righteous judgment. A righteous judgment then implies that it's going to have to be according to the truth. There are many, many other verses that I, I wrote down here uh, if you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 21, it says, test all things. Test all things. How can they make a judgment without first having the test? They have to test so they can know whether or not it's good or bad. How do we know that? At the end of verse 21, it says, hold fast to that which is good. Test all things. Hold fast to that which is good. If you go back in our main text, in Matthew chapter 7, I find it very interesting in the way that we use, judge not that you be not judged, if you notice in verse 6, in the main text it says, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under the feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Don't cast your pearl before a pig. Don't give what is holy to a dog. Okay, I know what a pig looks like. I know what a dog looks like. But the problem is we're not talking about pigs and dogs. The point he's making is the unrighteous. The person that doesn't care. The pearl of great price that we have is the gospel. The pearl of great price that we have is the hope in the kingdom. And he says, don't cast your pearl before a pig. Don't cast your pearl before pigs, before swine they don't care somewhere along the way you have to decide whether or not it's worth it with the person that's just going to trample underfoot the word of God somewhere along the line you have to make a judgment call on whether or not a person has any desire at all our goal is to always reach out but the point in Matthew chapter 7 verse 6 is don't give what is good don't give what is holy to a dog. There has to be a way in which you know the one who is the dog. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, if you would follow along in verses 11 through 13, it says, But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are also outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Now notice he gives a list of sins. He says, put away the evil person. And yet we say, how dare you judge me for my sin? The point wasn't that the person was judging them. The person sees the acts that are committed. They see the different things that the individual does. They see sin. 
And when sin takes place, it's to be rebuked. It's to be turned away from. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he talks about changing the person that is living in sin. Notice, they didn't have to, they didn't have to decide. They knew the sin was taking place, and therefore, it's time to correct it. As you go on in verse, or if you go forward in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 48, it says, Therefore you shall be perfect, even as your Father is perfect. The point being, we need to be striving to live in the way that is right, or righteous, or perfect. We need to be striving to be the best we can be. I remember the commercials as a young boy. Be all that you can be. You can. You can be what you decide, what you make of yourself, what you do with yourself. You can be all that you can be. Uh, as an individual, we need to strive for perfection. First uh, John, I mean, ch John chapter 5 and verse 30 says, I can do nothing of myself. As I hear, I judge, my judgment is righteous. Why? Because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him that sent me. So Jesus says, my judgment is righteous. The judgment must come in order to protect yourself. If you notice back in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 and 2, the whole point was protecting self. It says, For with what judgment you will be judged, with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. It's going to come back on me. That's where the problem comes in, so I need to protect myself. The judgment must come to protect self. As you look in Matthew chapter 7, go a little bit further in the chapter in verse 15. It says, beware of false prophets. How do I know they're a false prophet? Well, test all things. Hold fast that which is good. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly they are ravenous wolves. There has to be a way in which an individual can know that a person is a false prophet. It says... In verse 16, you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 20, therefore, by your fruits, you'll know them. Therefore, by the actions that they complete the things that they do says by that you'll know them as Christians it's been said before that we're not to be a judge but rather a fruit inspector as a fruit inspector within the way that we use the word judge today you have to judge the fruit our goal is not to condemn a person our goal is rather to change a person to where they lift up the truth in holiness. We want the person to look for the truth, to desire the truth, to praise God in the end. As we see here in verses 1 and 2, the key goal really needs to be protecting self. As an individual, we have to protect ourselves from the judgment that is to come. And therefore, we should be merciful. But yet, we have to judge righteously. Go on and in verses 3 through 5, we'll notice that we must examine self. It requires that we look at self in order to be able to protect ourselves. Notice in verse 3 it says, And why do you not look at the speck in your brother's eye, but consider not the plank in your own eye? 
Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look? A plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. He says, hypocrite. We have the opposite of two things. We have a person that's casting a judgment. Now, what's the problem with the individual casting the judgment? <laughs> I'm exactly the same thing. If I was to have the really small Bible, or Anna had the really small Bible, and then she, she condemned me for having the large Bible, that would be a hypocrite. Obviously, she doesn't have a small Bible because she didn't like mine. But we have the opposite extremes. We have an individual that's doing one thing, and he's condemning the other for doing the same thing. Now, notice here, in examining self, hypocrisy tarnishes the helping brother. The one that is there to help is tarnished because he's caught up in the same sin. He's caught up in the same thing. He says, there's a little piece of dirt right there. If I squint, I can see it. And yet he walks up with a fence post. He says, there's a little, little something in your eye. And yet he's got a beam protruding out of his head. Hypocrisy tarnishes the helping brother to where he can't even help. Hypocrisy today destroys our influence to where we can't even help. When I read reviews about uh, there's different books or different, uh, different articles about why I left, why, why a person says that they're no longer a member of the church, usually they say, Say, because somebody judged me. And then on the other extent, they say, because there's a lot of hypocrites. Within God's design, there is no such thing. Within God's design, that's cut off. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. There is no perfect place, and the problem is we have people. If we were all true to God's word and 100% of its extent within God's design, there would never be such a thing as a hypocrite in the church. And that's why God rebukes them. That's why God rebukes it. Here we see hypocrisy is going to destroy the influence that you have over your family. Hypocrisy is going to destroy the influence that you have over your neighbors. Go to Romans chapter 2. This is another lengthy reading and we'll, we'll try and hurry through it. But yet it's very important because it talks so much about the hypocrisy that has taken place. In Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 17, it says, Indeed, you are called a Jew, and rest, rest on the law, and make your boast in God, and know his will, and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are, are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, you teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal... Do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast into law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? Notice what he says in verse 24. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. We've got the picture of a hypocrite. We've got the picture of one that says one thing and yet it's really completely different. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12, it says, having your conduct 
honorable among the Gentiles. The things that they did were honorable. The people could look at them and they could be like, wow. He goes on to say in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, notice, they see your good works, it says at the end of the verse that they will glorify God. They glorify God because of the seeing of your good works. If they don't see your good works, they see your hypocrisy, there's no way you're going to change them. There's no way you're going to help them. As we've, we've worked on the idea here recently, as Mike has, has continued with the theme of each one reaching one. If they look at us and they see the way we live is completely different than what we're trying to tell them, how can we help them? The point in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5 is, get your life right. You can help others, but only because of correcting yourself. Hypocrisy also gives one false hope. Hypocrisy gives one the idea, oh, I'm fine because I'm telling them the truth. I told them the truth, so hey, I'm doing my part. But yet, the hypocrite turns around and does the same thing. So hypocrisy follows back to examining self in Matthew chapter 7. The person was told not to judge, and the judgment they were doing was the same thing that they were telling another not to do. For the last point, let's notice correcting self. We've got just a few minutes. Go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 5. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 5, we see really the main point kind of come to fruition. It comes to the, the head. And it says in verse 5, Hypocrite! First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Evidently, the point in Matthew chapter 7 isn't, Hey, you better not tell me I can't live this way in sin. You better not tell me that I have dirt in my eye. Evidently, it was okay in Matthew chapter 7 for him to encourage the brother with dirt in his eye. At the end of verse 5, it says, Then you can see clearly to help. Within the church, within God's design for the church, we have to correct self so that we can help others. In Matthew chapter 7, he hadn't corrected himself and therefore he couldn't pass a proper judgment because he had turned his life to hypocrisy. Correcting self is the first need. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, it says, Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. They first had to look inward so that they could then look outward. How are you going to help somebody with dirt in their eye when you've got a post protruding out of your eye? It's not possible. We see the hypocrite here. We see the one that, that's trying to correct another and yet himself or the individual is living a completely opposite way. It says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless you are disqualified. Before pointing out someone else's problems, we've got to first fix our own. If one corrects self, it's only going to be proper. They're only going to be able to correct another 
They're only going to be able to make that judgment call on how they can help them. They can only make the judgment call that they're in sin if they do it from the standpoint of love. We can correct a person in love. And the point was to encourage the brother to righteousness. You see, the opposite is what took place when, when they called down Jesus. They pulled Christ down to condemn him. We should encourage a person to lift them up. The judgment that is a righteous one is to encourage, to focus one on heaven. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 5, we see that the person is to fix themselves so they can help another. If they're going to help the other, it's going to come from a standpoint of love. In John chapter 13, and verse 35, it says, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. If I love you, I better encourage you when I think you're doing wrong. If I love you as a Christian and I want you to go to heaven with me, if you want me to go to heaven with you, you come to me when you see something that is amiss, something that's, that's not godly, that's improper, that's against Christianity, which is against what Christ taught or what Christ stood for. Notice one further one step further in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, that a spiritual brother, a spiritual brother or sister, a spiritual person is to aid in correcting the one that is wayward, the person that's off the track, that's off the straight and narrow path, that's off the path that is headed for home. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a fault, ye who are our spiritual, restore such a one with a spirit of meekness. We see they help the individual that's caught up in sin. They're caught up in something other than that path, that goal, that home where they look straight ahead and they strive for the home in eternity. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Notice in verse 4 it says, let each of you look out not only for his own interest but for the interest of others. Within God's design, we've got to look out for one another. And the way we use the, the verse in Matthew chapter 7 verse 1 oftentimes today says, don't judge me because I'm doing something wrong. That's usually the point. Usually when someone looks at, John, at Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, and they say, judge not that you be not judged, their point is, don't call me out for living in sin. The point this morning is, don't look at someone to cast them down to hell, but rather look at someone to bring them up to heaven. The judgment that must be cast is to encourage one to righteousness. In the end... The world is going to be judged by the faithful. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, he points out the fact of the judgment, the impending judgment that's going to come. It says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Now, he's rebuking them for not taking care of their problems at home. But he says, in the end, the saints will judge the world. How do the saints judge the world? Well, it's going to take place because you lived according to God's word. The judgment takes place because the sinner, the one that's not willing to look at God's word, the one that's not willing to consider God's plan, 
really judges themselves unworthy. By you doing right and they're doing wrong, the individual is judged. The same thing happened when Noah was here. It says Noah condemned the world. Noah condemned them because of his righteousness. Not that, not that his desire was that they would be lost, but rather because he did right, in the end they were condemned because they did wrong. In the end, the world is judged by the faithful because of their righteousness. God, the righteous judge, will, will complete the plan. God, the righteous judge, will let it all work out according to righteousness. He's faithful and just. He's going to be the true judge, the only honorable judge, because he knows the thoughts, the intents of the heart. He knows the desire, the design behind the individual. And today, if you think in John chapter 12 and verse 48, the individual that chooses not to obey God's word is the one that judges himself. In John chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus says, The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. The key is we better be true to God's word. If we're going to be true to God's word, we're going to encourage the people that we see that aren't following God. We're going to encourage those that their life has gotten off track. They're caught up in sin. Within God's design of judging, as a fruit inspector... We look at the actions that one does and we encourage them to righteousness. If there are some here today that haven't come to the point where you decided, I want righteousness, where you decide that you want to give your life to Christ, where you decide that you want your sins remitted, if you haven't come to the point where you've made a change in your life and you said, Jesus is my number one, we want to change that. We want Christ to be your Savior. It says in Acts 22, 16, And now why tarriest thou arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins? The purpose is cleanliness. The purpose is purity, to be made whole. Washing away of sins. You want to talk about a spiritual, spiritual cleaning? Through the blood of Christ, we can have hope. As Christians, we must live by God's word. We must spread God's word. And we must be obedient through all things to God's word. The point being, those that aren't in Christ, we want to help you. We need to help ourselves in correcting self. We need to help ourselves by protecting self. We need to help ourselves by examining self. And we've got to correct ourselves when they're wrong, when we are wrong. As Christians, as, as people here today, we want to help all those that haven't put Christ on. If you haven't made Christ your Lord, make that change today. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Today is the accepted time. If you haven't given your life to Christ, please come as we stand and sing.